Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome into another episode of Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. Judd, how are you enjoying your hockey season so far? Uh, I am enjoying it immensely. I am very, very, very into the National Hockey League season so far. I don't know exactly why, but um, it's to the point of geekdom. I Uh, will confirm that. I think one part of it for me that's gotten me really excited about the beginning of the season is just how much everyone seems to be scoring. Uh, Power plays are up. I checked those numbers last night. The uh, save percentages are down just a little bit. I don't know Mm -hmm. if these numbers will sustain, but you are seeing some really spectacular performances. I think Austin Matthews has now 10 goals in 14 games. Steven Stamkos is putting up more than two points a game, or I guess he's a little over uh, near two points a game. Uh, Nikita Kucherov is scoring a goal per game. I mean, there, there seems to be a lot of exciting offensive performances. When I looked up that Connor McDavid had something like 13 points in 11 games, mm-hmm. and he wasn't at the top of the league, uh, I, I was like, wow, this is something a little bit new, and I hope this keeps going. And I think Tavares has had something like one or two goals in his first six games and has been absolutely uh, on fire since. Now, one theory that I heard about this uh, about why it's up is the amount of uh, slashing calls that are now being assessed because as we have seen if you put your basically if you take your stick and love tap a guy's gloves you're going to the box so i think the i think one theory is that uh because power plays are going up so much because of that that's ca- causing more goals uh what was interesting though on um on thursday night during the montreal wild game at the x they were still calling that However, I believe if you if you take your hand off your stick and bear hug a guy, it's not a penalty. <laughs> so I am unclear. I am un, and and this is the old what um, um, enforcement or point of emphasis, I should say. Right. Mm-hmm. The point of emphasis now is if I take my stick and I love to have you, I'm going off for uh, a minor, but much to the I'm sure the league's joy if that is resulting in more goals and heck we've seen some what collar eight goal games. I mean, I think we saw Montreal put up eight against the senators on Monday night, if I'm not mistaken. So if that continues, they are going to be very, very happy. How about this? Um, There are over 40 players with a point per game or more right now who have played been regular players. That is something that is pretty unusual. And the Steven Stamkos, to correct myself, 1.7 points per game. He's got 24 in 14 games and is off to a blazing hot start. And uh, Taylor Hall, maybe a guy that you wouldn't want to trade away. Just to throw that out there. Taylor Hall, (laughs) 15 points in 11 games. Tavares, like you mentioned, has 12 goals in 13 games. These are the things that fans wanted to see. And you and I spent a lot of last year bemoaning the fact that guys got slashed and penalties weren't called. I'm all for if you tap a guy on the gloves for that being a penalty because the last thing I need is guys playing through a bunch of broken hands halfway through the season and not being able to score anymore because these guys will try to play if they have a broken hand, but that's I don't need star players 
going out there at half speed because their hands are broken or dinged up or injured or having to sit out because of that. And that's been a strategy for a while now is just keep hacking guys on the hands and maybe you'll take them out of a playoff series. I'm tired Mm -hmm. of that. I love seeing all these players scoring a point per game. And goals are, and I mean, as as we've talked about basically since you came to the station, the goals are, goals are great because the one problem that this league has had consistently you think in the past, what, 10 years or so, is getting goals. So if we're going to go back to a semblance of 1986 or something, that's awesome. That's good. Uh, your point about the Oilers and Taylor Hall brings me, though, to a key point. The Edmonton Oilers are supposed to be one of the most, and they are, young, exciting teams. But they're off to a terrible start, which leads me to this question. And now when is their coach going to be fired? When is their GM going to be fired? Because the Oilers still make moves that make no sense. And, and this is a team that if you are the league, it is in your best interest to see McDavid and this entire team featured, not missing the playoffs. Your guy, what what is it, Chirelli? Yeah. Has just been, I mean, it's unbelievable his ability to disintegrate a franchise, whether it be the Bruins or the Oilers in this case, really, really needs to stop. It's astonishing how bad that man is at being a general manager and then got another job. I would have thought, I I would have thought Judd that it would have been a death blow to Peter Shirelli to have traded away Tyler Sagan. Tyler Sagan is a franchise player for the Dallas stars and Mm -hmm. one of the most exciting and dangerous offensive players in the NHL. He has 13 points in 13 games, seven goals, and, you know, we've seen him score 37 goals in a season. He's a playmaker. He, he's a power play maestro. They have the best power play in the league. He's everything you want. And you drafted him number two overall and then traded him for Louis Erickson, who was around for a couple years, and a bunch of nothing that's not there anymore. Yes. And, and then you got another job. I mean, that is well, a- astonishing. And then you get that other job and trade away Taylor Hall, who now yes. is one of the league's leaders in points. The Hall trade was hysterical because, as you just said, the day it was made, every one of us was like, what did you just do? Huh? But it, but what I'm saying, too, is I guess if you drive a crappy franchise that, that doesn't have star talent into the ground, that's too bad and you should be fired. But this is a this is a cry, I think, from the league to fire this guy right now because this Oilers team should be on national tv which by the way they're not they should be in the playoffs consistently they should be making deep runs and it's it's as if Torelli is doing everything he can to sabotage that because he's incompetent and by the way congratulations again to gary bettman and the national hockey league collar if you didn't notice the oilers and penguins played for the second and final time this season this week and for the second time it was not on tv in the states in fact i had to watch it on nhl network from the night, the day after the game, the Canadian feed, because a magnificent McDavid Crosby, right? Your two marquee players, your your two of your stalwarts, the old guard and the young guard, were not on NBC Sports Network because they had a doubleheader that night, which was Blackhawks, I think Flyers or something like that, and then ended with a Sharks game. I mean, so you're telling me because the Oilers aren't in the States, you can't put the Oilers on TV. And it was a fun game to watch. It was everything this league wants, and it was not on for national consumption in this country. You know, the, the crazy thing is that I'm sure they would justify that because of the non-American market and trying to maximize ratings. 
the reality of those NBC Sports uh, ratings for hockey is they're abominable. No oh, one, yes. nobody <laughs> watches these things. I mean, if it's a Buffalo game or a Detroit game or maybe a Minnesota game, they'll get the fans from that local market, and that's it. Nobody else around the country is watching. A, your one chance to get other people around the country to watch is to have a matchup like McDavid and Crosby. Maybe you could get people in other markets. Uh, B, how important could this be to you, the ratings? I mean, if you're not getting ratings anyway, anywhere, then at least give the people who love you a chance to see you. And unless you spend the money on the Game Center, which is like over 100 bucks, I think, uh, it is. you're never seeing Connor McDavid play hockey and you're getting robbed of that. And even as bad as Edmonton is, and by the way, Ryan Strom, who they uh, traded Jordan Eberle for one goal in 11 games and not a good player. Um, yep. He wasn't a good player with the Islanders. I saw him once in the American hockey league and he played like a dog and I was like, yeah. okay, this guy, I mean, this guy, he's just, he was a top pick, but he just doesn't look like any sort of real prospect. And to get Jordan Eberle for him is uh, really mind-blowing. But um, back to the point is just you only have so many hockey fans, and I think you need to keep them. I've al- I have always thought that this is not a growing sport. It's not MLS that's constantly picking up people and picking up steam and growing. It's got mm-hmm. its very, very loyal fan base that you constantly find ways to agitate, and that would be one of them. I mean, if they are calling the rules now and the scoring sustains, which I don't trust it, Judd, because we've seen this before, but if the scoring sustains, then I give them major credit for making that change. But on stuff like this, I just think all you're doing is punching your best fans in the teeth by – uh, saying, oh, sorry, it's it's in Edmonton, so you can't see Connor McDavid play. Toronto is never on national TV. You can't see Austin Matthews play. But, yep. hey, here's San Jose, which w- isn't even good anymore. Yeah, yeah, here are here are the Sharks and Kings coming right up, and you say, what the bleep? <laughs> and, and this Oilers-Penguins game caller, I kid you not, McDavid made another move where, where it looked like uh, the Penguins were going to clear the puck, and at the last second deep in the Pittsburgh zone, McDavid intercepts it and makes a move around a defenseman that basically leaves him without his jock on. I mean, it was one of those moves where if a kid saw it, he'd be like, oh, my gosh, i got to go outside and try that move. And then that results in, in a, a great no-look pass for a goal, and then the Penguins come right down, and Crosby matches it with a great pass himself. I mean, this is exactly the speed of that game and the intensity uh, in in at this time of year is exactly what this league needs to showcase. That's my point here. I mean, my soapbox is when you have talent like that, is there any other league in this world which would say, well, yeah, but, you know, the ratings aren't going to be exactly what we think and we're going to forfeit a market, so we're not going to show the two best players or two of the best players in the world? There is no other league that would cut off their you-know-what's like this league, and it drives me crazy, and that's my point, and I get off my soapbox now after that. No, I think that you're exactly right in bringing it up. Also, I would just like to mention that in hockey culture, if little Timmy saw that move and went outside in the driveway with his hockey ball and tried it then someone should run out there and tell him play like a gritty team player don't you try those skill things (laughs) mcdavid mcdavid is literally posterizing people 
And this would be like if the NBA said, well, he's posterizing people, but it's not in the right market and it's not this, so we can't <laughs> show it. We can, I mean, Connor McDavid, if you are a hockey fan between the ages of 5 and 20, Connor McDavid's poster should be on your bleeping bedroom wall. He's that good, he's that special, and he is making moves that I haven't seen since probably Savard and Gretzky and Lemieux, okay? So this shouldn't be that tough. Get him on TV, get him on TV a handful of times and allow kids to say, I don't care if he's playing in Edmonton or whatever. Oh, and by the way, too, you know what? It might be a good idea to sell your to sell your $150 or whatever it is Game Pass, Matthew, by putting him on for free a few times, right. because he's the type of player where if you saw him for free, there's a very good chance you would say, oh, my gosh, it would be worth paying north of $100 to see this kid play as many games as I possibly can. Here's a, a crazy stat for you, Judd. Say Connor McDavid played the whole game. Instead of playing 20 minutes, he played all 60 minutes. And okay. he, let's say he could do it at full strength. His rate of shots on goal when the, when he's out on the ice, the Edmonton Oilers, if he was to play the whole game, they would average 49 shots a game with him on the ice. So when he comes on the ice, they go from basically being a, a bad team to being a team that would outshoot their opponent by 15 and put mm-hmm. 49 shots a game on when I he's out that. there. That's how dominant this guy is. He's ridiculous. And I mean... Until you watch him and the speed he plays with and those hands, it's because there's just not – I mean, we're we're still used to, I think, some goal scorers like Ovechkin, right? And Crosby, Crosby's an ultra-talented player, but he plays a pretty hard style. This kid, this kid has that Gretzky sort of just this ability to – he makes a move and you're like, I got to go back and watch that five times. And, and there's just – I mean, that's a rare, rare talent. So the Oilers right now are 31st in goals scored, despite uh, Connor McDavid averaging more than a point per game and having five goals already. Um, are were we wrong, Judd, to look at that team and say, "Man, you know, it's too bad that the Wild didn't win last year when Edmonton was still a budding team because now they're going to be great." Well, they look really bad, and I think that that's you have to point the finger right at their general manager. Uh, for the the moves that they made, getting rid of Hall, getting rid of Eberle, yep. I, can you imagine how yep. this Edmonton team would be if they had Taylor Hall and Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid? I know it's hard to afford all of those players, but Hall had a very favorable contract. If you had all three of those players, I think this team is unstoppable offensively. And even though Adam Larson is a respectable defenseman. Uh, oh. I, th- I think Darnell yeah. Nurse is already better than he is or, ju- or just as good. And, I mean, I'm not saying you can just find defensemen, but Taylor Hall is a rare talent. I feel like those guys would be just unstoppable, especially with the speed. Collar, you're 100% wrong, and here's why. I would much <laughs> I would much rather any day of the week watch Milan Lucic plot up and down the wing oh and be behind, behind the play. And No, and, and, and by the way, he's not cheap. Lucic isn't cheap. So, no, this is a mismanaged team, and I'm telling you, as a favor to the hockey world, the Oilers need to make a GM change because it's going to be a crime. If McDavid doesn't make the playoffs, it is a complete crime, and I'm, I'm dead serious. And... It, it is because it's not his fault. 
It's not his fault. This team proved last year that it should belong. So it, it not belonging is not it regressing is not okay. No, this is on this is on the Oilers to make that change because if Connor McDavid come mid-April is not playing hockey, it's a complete farce. And you you have a general manager who spent on Lucic, where I think it was obvious that he wasn't going to fit with the speed of of playing with a McDavid team. You have a GM that spent on Chris Russell, who is not a good defenseman, and yep. <laughs> for some reason still thinks that he is, but Russell is kind of a relic of the past who blocks shots, and he has some skill, but uh, not a whole lot. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you overpay on him, you trade away your best skill players, it's time for him to go. And I know that they need much better goaltending, that's been a big part of it, but the fact that they only have 24 goals uh, so far, part of it is a little bit small sample size and luck, but with Connor McDavid, you should never be this far down in goal scoring. Um, th- that that's that's one uh, surprise, I guess, for me because I thought that they were going to be way up. Uh, but I know Judd that you have a notebook full of other hockey thoughts. So, what 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 else is in Judd's hockey notebook? Well, I actually want to start um, start w- with the top name that I've got, and this comes from going to the uh, Montreal Wild game on Thursday night at the X, and I will read you verbatim from the top of my notebook, which says, Carey Rice, Price, Long Dash, Wolf. What has happened to Carey Price? Carey Price has, and this is not one game. I mean, his goals against it is up. Um, he doesn't play well at the X traditionally, but last night, uh, or th- Thursday night, in, in their loss, he looked absolutely matthew lost i mean he didn't look like a guy who who you say boy this is just a bad night uh the second goal which was a uh a attempted clearing pass that dumba of all people stopped uh was a lazy attempt at clearing pass and then he sort of just got back to the net dumba shot it got tipped in uh but he made several plays where it looked like he closed his eyes and hoped he stopped the puck what has happened to Carey Price? I do not know, but I was blown away, especially on that second goal. I mean, the first one, I feel like I've seen him try that before where he sort of leans into a shot and he'll get it. Um, maybe uh, maybe that's some technique that he does and then it just sort of bounced off of his glove. I don't know. It, it looked bad. But the second one, he was so apathetic in the way that he skated back to get that's, the puck. Yes. It was yes. just, where are you? Are you here tonight playing? And I, I wonder, that it may, it must be, that's how he's looked all season. And Judd, he's only under contract for a $10 million cap hit until 2023, <laughs> which seems like a really great plan if you're a general manager to give a goaltender, even if it's a great goaltender, $10 bucks until he's, how old? He's 30 now, so he will be 37. He'll only be thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. I don't see what the problem is. So, if, so if uh, if Torelli is the uh, Western Conference GM most deserving to be fired, I would guess that that you would probably agree that uh, Bergevin with Montreal is the Eastern Conference GM who should be canned because Montreal looked disinterested. I mean, they shouldn't be this bad, right? They look disinterested, disorganized, and uh, and. I got to imagine that, that that the type of play that we're seeing from them is going to be is going to be tolerated in that town for about a month or so. And then they're going to make some type of changes. How does Mark Bergevin still have a job after the PK? I, I have no idea. 
That the, P- no the PK Subban trade is one of the worst trades of my life, and the other ones are all Peter Shirelli trades. I mean, Shea Weber is a nice player, but he's also under contract through 2024, I and he's barely, 32 no, now. I barely noticed him against the Wild. And uh, Galchenyak now is what? On the fourth line, I believe, because he's had a, a falling out with the team. I mean, they're, they're a mess, but yeah. Shea Weber was a guy who, if you didn't look at the roster before the game, mm-hmm. you you would be like, "Oh, he played." I mean, it wasn't it wasn't that he made a nice play or two. I didn't notice him make any plays. I believe it was their third line played well, and Collar. I kid you not, that was about it. That was what you got if you paid to watch the Canadians and Wild was Montreal's third line putting forth an effort late in the second period into the third, and that was it. And that is why I, I got to think that, uh, if nothing else, Bergevin at this rate doesn't get to Christmas. Well, he shouldn't have gotten to October, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. And here's another one. So they make a trade in the off season. I've never been a huge Jonathan Druan guy, especially since he uh, – pulled that whole crybaby act where he got sent down to the AHL because he wasn't playing enough. And really it was because he didn't want to play defense and he came off looking like a big old brat in that, in that thing. And and he really doesn't play defense as dynamic of an offensive player as he can be. He's not a 90 point player, which I think you have to be 80 or 90 point player to be that lazy on the defensive side or make that many mistakes. So they traded for him and sent off first round pick Mikhail Sergachev who has 11 points in 14 games for the Tampa Bay Lightning and has mm. has played a major role in solving their defensive issues that they've had in the last couple of years. So not only did this guy trade away P.K. Subban, who is a top-five defenseman in the NHL, but he also dealt away Sergachev, who is 20 years old and is uh, scoring points for Tampa Bay, playing a decent amount of minutes for them. I mean... Not a superstar yet, but potentially butting into a, a really good NHL player. Sure. And, and these are the trades that you still have a job after making. Uh, you know, you asked me on the last podcast whether we could be GMs of teams or which one we're the closest to or who does yep. the worst job somewhere yep. in that. Um, there are some general managers and some front offices in the NHL who do a great job. And I would say, even though Nashville's struggling, I'd probably put them on the list. I think the Dallas Stars have done a pretty good job. There's a number of teams where I say, yeah, you know, that team knows what it's doing, and they work really hard on it. The Blues, I think, do a good job, um, outside of some odd moves here or there to be gritty. But even then, like, to get Uh Braden Shen, that was a good move for them. Um, But these two teams that we've been talking about, yeah, if you and I were running them and someone said, I really want to trade P.K. Subban, all you'd have to do to be better than them is go, nah, <laughs> I want to trade Taylor Hall. No. No, that might be a mistake. No, no, he's well, good. And, and the Duran the trade, too. So here, here's what I don't get about that trade. Okay, he had problems in Tampa. Tampa is the most, Tampa's got to be one of the greatest places to play. It's a great franchise. I think people like the team, but it's hockey in the South, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, there are some guys you say – wow, the Yankees signed or traded for him, I think that's going to be a bad fit because New York, right? Well, in the National Hockey League, I believe that those those similar markets are Montreal and Toronto, for instance. 
So it's like, okay, this guy that basically pounded his way into being suspended and sent down by the Tampa Bay Bleep and Lightning is going to be a fit in Montreal. Yeah. And sure enough, last night he's out there gliding around. And I, I think Montreal's got real problems. I mean, I, I, mean, I think they've got uh, chemistry problems. I think they've got personality problems. But for a guy who basically couldn't hack it in Tampa Bay, Florida, playing in the National Hockey League, you really think he's going to turn around, essentially go home to Montreal, where you know, where you're not just followed by papers and beat guys and gals, you're followed by television stations. Yeah, I mean, there were people, there were there were television stations setting up doing remotes from the press box at the X last night because you have that many people traveling with the team. It takes a certain certain type of personality, I think, to be successful there. I don't think a guy who couldn't hack it in Tampa, Florida, is actually going to do very good in Montreal, Quebec. You know, uh, I had Just a... my personal opinion. A friend of mine played for the Montreal Canadiens for a good amount of time, and he said that every time he went to dinner with his wife, to the mall, wherever wherever he went in public, a bar, doesn't matter, that fans would be coming up to him telling him, "You, why didn't you pass the puck on this play? Why didn't you make this play? Why don't you guys trade for this guy? That fans were basically in your face because you are major celebrities there. Like, everybody is Teddy Bridgewater there. Every player on the Montreal Canadiens gets mauled in public. Although Teddy probably doesn't even get mauled in public in Minnesota. It doesn't seem no, like No, I bet he doesn't. It doesn't no, seem no, like no, they no. do that. But it's I mean from recognizable. There. From recognizable. I mean if Joe sure. Mauer or Teddy Bridgewater walked by you, you'd be like, that's Joe Mauer. You know, yep. I mean he'd be hard to miss at six foot five and uh looking like Joe Mauer. And uh, most hockey players aren't like that. I think that Jason Zucker could walk by you in the mall and you'd be like, oh, that's just a guy. Um, okay, exactly. You know what I mean? But in Montreal, yeah. they know every player and they get mauled in public. The media is, is very harsh on them. They're the biggest show in town all the time. So I completely agree with you. Uh, my friend told me that Saku Koivu, um, if they went anywhere, like he was so popular that they kind of had to form a barrier so people couldn't <laughs> bum rush him when he was in public. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's how it is. And, uh, you know, I think that probably does put guys like Galchenyuk and Druin in in a pretty tough spot and they've ruined Galchenyuk. I mean, I think he's a great, Oh, he's a mess, but he's a complete mess. Yeah. They haven't decided where they want to play him, what they want to do with him. So bad organizations stay bad. Where do you rank Mm -hmm. the wild in terms of their front office? I'll tell you, I think that they should be considered to be pretty solid, but what they haven't done is tanked and gotten Connor McDavid. So, well, yeah, and and we we've talked about that a lot before. I mean, here's here's where I feel for them, and and I keep coming back to, to this because I was a proponent of the Parisi and and Suter signings in July of 2012, and if I could go back and undo those, I still wouldn't because I mean that marked a significant change in the perception of this franchise, and they've been through the playoffs consistently since. But where I where I do side with uh, the Wild and teams like the Wild is very very simple. Nobody could have predicted the salary cap was never going was basically going to stay flat for years and years. Right. I mean, I, because I, if the Parisi Suter contracts had been signed and then the salary cap was doing what it was supposed to do by now, the Wild would be in okay shape. But instead, they're having to send down four guys. You know, if not, now that they've got guys hurt, they basically have four guys come up, and then they send three of them down to the AHL to save money for that time period. And it's it's sad and sort of pathetic, but it's not their fault. It's the fault of a league that basically can't find a way to make its cap go up. And we can blame the Canadian dollar. We could certainly blame the uh, TV deals. But 
that's where that's where I don't fault the Wild and teams like them because I do think that there would have been no way in 2012 that you would actually sit there and say, you know what, I think the cap's not going up. I mean, it just wouldn't have made sense. And in every other league uh, that, that we follow, the cap goes up. It's just this is the one league where it just stays flat. And every other league, I think, is. Uh, undergone exponential growth in some way or another. I mean, maybe baseball has stayed steady as opposed to slipping much since, say, the beginning of the 2000s or even the 1990s. But I remember a time where people weren't watching Monday Night Football. And now you just thought, you can't imagine that. Oh, the ratings are down. Yeah, from like last year, but they're way up from 1997. I feel like every league at some point had this big growth and jump forward. The NBA certainly did. And uh, now it's super popular uh, to the point I heard you make this uh, point on the radio that the NBA offseason is just as uh, intense as the NBA season, if not more. And it's it, more it, tense, it, it did not used to be that way. No, and hell no. So every other sport has taken these big leaps forward and here hockey just lags or lags behind putts and around. And I feel like a big part of that was how slow they were to recognize the American perception of hockey was that a bunch of people went and started fighting each other because even you don't, you can only have to go back like five years to where fighting has started to drift down since then uh, pretty steeply. But five, six years ago, there were still a couple fights a game. And I, I think that that really, uh, I know some people are die hard for keeping fighting in the game, but no one ever fights anymore, really, and it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. And it would have helped your perception quite a bit if you had gotten rid of it uh, a while but, ago. But, you but have... Matthew, but that's that's why you have to show Pittsburgh Edmonton. I mean, the speed of that game was incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's the type of thing when you watch this game and, and you know, granted during the course of the season, you don't see this on a nightly basis from a lot of games. But when you watch this game, played the way it now is supposed to be played the speed of it's incredible i mean if if you pop in pop in a game from 1985 for Mm -hmm. instance and then watch a game from today it's unrecognizable it does not look like the same sport so so where uh fighting might have been deemed necessary at that time and it was slow and more plotting and checking i mean that it when this game is played when mcdavid plays crosby now that's long gone I mean, it still can be physical, but it is so fast. Players in su- are in such great shape. So, I, and that's what they should be focusing on. And I think they probably want to, but for some reason that they've never known how to get there. And if NBC says, well, we'd rather have Blues Blackhawks on again for the 19th time, they just say, oh, okay, instead of saying, hold on a second here. It might make sense to showcase two of our best players. Well, one part of this conversation is how decisions are made about the game and Um, we just laid out who some of the GMs are and the moves they've made. Well, these are the guys who are setting the rules, more or less. I mean, there was GM meetings last year, and I remember listening to the Sabres GM, or maybe it was two years ago, talk about um, you know the rule changes that they might want to make. And they were talking about, well, maybe we should put a clock on how long the guy can stand behind his own net. Or whatever, right? <laughs> when, I mean, when the solution was right there in front of you, and we've seen it in play that now that there's more penalties called, players aren't getting hurt, and they're scoring more on power plays, which is exciting. How about that? I mean, this has been obvious for a long time. 
But yes, th- it has. But they're in a room somewhere having a meeting debating whether you should put a clock on the guy standing behind the net. I mean, is it like, how could you miss something so obvious or not want to see it because you want to have parity? Uh, if you have more power plays, the better teams will score more and on and on and on, right? So mm-hmm. you want, you know, your Carolinas to believe that they can compete with Pittsburgh, which they never could anyway, but you want them to think that or their fans to think that. It's a terrible model. People like Golden State and Cleveland. People like Brady and Manning. They, they, they like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. They don't like, hey, maybe Carolina could win tonight against Pittsburgh. They want to see Sidney Crosby blow the doors off Carolina. Anyway. Of course they do. And do, just to back up. You- Oh, yes. sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I'm going. I'm going to, to give you three options, wild wise, from my notebook. Oh, okay. You, yes, I was going to direct you back toward the wild. Do you want? Do you want my man crush? Do you want the bad of the week, or do you want an absolute stat that's going to, I believe, impress even you? All okay. wild, all wild related. Your choice. All right. Well, I'm going to start with the stat then. Okay. Uh, ESPN.com uh, did their, their rankings of the uh, teams today, and within those rankings, they put a problematic thing about each team. The Wilds' problematic thing was this one. Jonas Brodin is a minus 44 in Corsi this season, and his Corsi percentage is 42.57. This was a guy at one time I really liked. More and more people who know, know more about the sport than I do say you shouldn't like him as much now, but I just want you to put into context for me what a minus 44 Corsi means because it can't be good. Uh, Well, uh, no, it's not good, but I would also say the whole team hasn't really been particularly good when it comes to Corsi so far this season. They have not. uh, Basically, we're talking about how often you're controlling the shot counter, and this team hasn't done it very often, though I will give you a, a, a stat before I further address yours. That okay. with, with Nino Niederreiter on the ice, they're controlling 65% of the shots so far this year. It's just that he's only played in five games um, mm-hmm. and hasn't played a whole lot of five-on-five ice time uh, so far. But still, like he was a big loss for the team in general. So it's never one player that causes a Corsi number to be like that. Um, but for Brodeen, I remember having this conversation with you a long time ago. I guess when I first got to Minnesota, I said, I'm really not sold on this guy because his advanced stats are just not very good. And I wondered about them and just, you know, is he a guy worth paying, worth having long-term as they, as they have, and he's got a favorable contract for what kind of player he's supposed to be, but he is not a guy that is going to drive possession, drive the puck up the ice. I think Scandella was a little better at that or jumping into the play. Um, and the other part of it, too, is he and Matt Dumba, I think, like, if you just compare skill sets, they should be a perfect pair. But they haven't been. It's been no. really ugly when they've played together for the most part. Yes, so yes, un- unless they can get together uh, a little bit more, Dumba has, uh, you know, kind of redeems himself the other night after the bad turnover. But just in general, I would be really concerned about that because mm-hmm. I went into the season thinking, all right, great. You got this good skater, uh, defensive defenseman, you know, can shut people down. And then you got this offensive dynamic talent who can, you know, run free in the wild because he's got uh, Brodeen to play the solid defense. Kind of like um, P.K. Subban and uh, Matthias Ekholm in uh, Nashville. 
It has not been anything like that so far. So that makes me think that they will get it turned around, but that is a disturbing stat. Okay, and my bad is you just brought it up, the Dumba game. And here's why. The turnover by Dumba on Tuesday against the Jets, which cost the Wild the game on the draw pass, was a stupid play and was bad. But that brought to an end because he was benched after that because I believe it was 43 seconds in the third period. That brought to an end a game that was atrocious by him. His second period, he had, he turned the puck over. At one point, I think the, the Wild was on a power play, and he lost the puck at the blue line, and the Jets went uh, toward the Wild net. And Boudreaux said after the game, he hasn't played well all season, which is why I insisted, that despite the fact that he had two assists and actually for a while was credited with a goal on Thursday against Montreal, which is why I said I would have scratched him for at least one game. I think the only way to really get through to this kid over the long term would have been to sit him. You need Dumba so badly because with Scandella gone, which you can address, but with Scandella gone, this is now a top four defenseman. We are in early November. You need this guy all season long and hopefully for their sake into the playoffs. And so people were, were saying, well, it was one bad play by Dumba. Cut him some slack. No, he wasn't. It's, it's a measure of irresponsible defensive play. And that's not a slump, too. That's not a bad game. That's not a slump. Irresponsible defensive play is not something where you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to – I had a bad game. It's, it is a commitment to either playing defense or not. And I'm not saying Dumba's ever going to be perfect there because he's not. But, come on, that drop pass was brutal. That game was awful. And essentially what you had at that point was nine games where there was a lot of times where you said, I don't think the kid cares. With Scandella gone and with this guy now being a top four defenseman, you can't have that. Well, I've got, a, I've got a few. I've got a few things for that. One, I don't think benching guys like you used to do old school is the way to handle every young player now. Um, it's probably letting them fight through it is a better way to handle young guys. And I and I know that that just goes against uh, how hockey has been done for a very long time. But I think showing trust in somebody and belief in a younger player like that probably sits better. And I, and I don't speak for Matt Dumba or anything. I don't know him, and he didn't tell me this. But I, I just think just in the NHL, it used to be if you were a young player and you messed up, then you had to sit, and that's how it was. And I think, right. I think that's changed a lot the way you handle it. So maybe Bruce Boudreaux knows that. Here's a stat for you, Judd, about Matt Dumba. Because I agree he has not been good, and he and Brodeen have been outshot pretty handily over the beginning of the year, although mm-hmm. without two of their best possession players, Niederreiter and uh, Parisi. Um, Matt Dumba has the best goals for percentage of anyone on the Minnesota Wild. Uh, with him on the ice this year, they've scored the most goals for per 60 minutes. He's been on the ice for 10 goals for and 6 goals against so far this year, which is a very, very small sample size, um, but might say, too, that when a guy makes a mistake that is super brutal, we immediately try to think of all the other mistakes that he made, and then we go, see, he was bad on this play and this play and this play and this play, and it's, it's very easy to focus only on that, especially with defensemen, uh, rather than seeing the bigger picture of the offense that they create, how well he moves the puck, how well he shoots the puck. I think what you're always going to have with Matt Dumba is frustrating moments like you had the other night where he makes a really bad mistake and he gives up a goal 
And you and I were there in the press box at a few games last year where I went, oh, my gosh, I can't believe what he just did. And but the bigger picture is the reason that they kept Matt Dumba, because the bigger picture is with him on the ice, you score more goals than anybody else. And in general, the payback on goals against hasn't been as bad as maybe we think it is in our mind, because if it costs them a game, then we always think right to that. See, he cost them a game all by himself. And keeping him, I, I was, I think both of us were very clear that that when, when he was exposed in the expansion draft, that both of us wanted to see them keep him, which they did, and that's good. Uh, my point about benching him or, or my point about putting him in the press box for one game was we've been through this before with him, mm-hmm. and, it's an, and it's an effort thing. And so, and so if this was the first time, then I would have said just keep playing him. It's fine. But what you had at that point was a nine-game sample size of the of uh, of plays that led up to that play. I mean, I'm not joking when when I said in the second period of that Jets game, I was watching him saying, "What's he doing?" I mean, he he just isn't into the game at at all. So so my only point about benching him or actually scratching him for one game was there's got to be a way to get the message through because I'm afraid now he, he's going to be like i played through it and in two months we're going to be right back there and when he goes bad my problem is this if that costs you a playoff game you're dead yeah you're absolutely dead so and and to your skin scandela point which you can get to there might have just been a mistake made here i mean the reliance on dumba to be a top four guy now where he has to be might be a mistake not his but from a personnel decision-making standpoint when when scandela was traded to buffalo for and so far you're right two guys who couldn't underwhelm me any more than they've underwhelmed me so that might be a good point by you i i would still stay with keeping dumba over scandela because of what the high end is for that i mean scandela is a player that i really like but yes he's kind of i, I don't want to call him just a guy because he's better than just a guy he's playing top bear and pair in Buffalo and he's made their top defenseman Rasmus Ristolainen a lot better by the numbers and from my eye when I've seen them play a couple of games so Scandella is a valuable player and I've always been a fan of his um, but with Dumba you're talking about somebody who's younger whose offensive upside is a lot more the thing that makes Dumba difficult is the roster has so many of these players that they have so many players who are flawed, who have hot streaks that make you love them and cold streaks that make you hate them. They're, yep. Like these, this team could pass for a baseball team. You know, at any given time on a baseball team, there's somebody who's hitting 10 for their last 20 and somebody who's 0 for their last 20. And you just kind of have to hope that they do it at the same time for a few players. And I think some other teams that are a little stronger at the top have players like Evgeny Malkin or Sidney Crosby. I know that's a lot to ask, but on a nightly basis, they're making a major impact where you might have Charlie Coyle, for example, he's hurt now, but you might have him is the first that comes to mind. He doesn't show up for 20 straight games. And then he comes back and scores a few goals and you think, man, this guy is a great power forward. And then he's gone for 20 more games. Parisi was one of the only guys who wasn't like that. And Niederreiter is one of the only guys who isn't like that because they play at both ends. The rest of them though, are that way. And so kind of Dumba adds to that. If you just had Dumba and a bunch of guys who were consistent and stars that were consistent that you could count on all the time. I don't think that he would hurt as much when he's having some downs. Yeah. And, and my scandal point was, was not that they, they should have kept him instead of Dumbo. My point was 
when you made the decision to for cap purposes move him and you don't replace him at all you you lend yourself to relying on Dumba in an area that especially as, as the playoffs eventually approach potentially might be a big problem because the question becomes can he hack this i mean he can definitely give you offense from the blue line and there can be times where he can make the spectacular play but does he have the ability to be consistent and i don't know what i don't know if the answer to that question is definitely and the thing about it now is he's not young. I mean, he's 23. Okay, that's still sort of young, but he's 23, and he, he's a guy who's been in the league for four-plus years. I I think he's approaching, if I'm not mistaken, 250 games played in this league. So you're not talking about a guy where you can simply say, oh, it's you know what, it, that's too bad. You're talking about a guy who you need to perform for you on a nightly basis, uh, who needs to play a lot and, and certainly can give you offense, but what he can't be doing is making stupid defensive plays. Oh, by the way, the good, since we've been talking about the bad, my man crush on Luke Cunning continues. Mm, yeah, he's had a great start. He, he has. I'm telling you flat out right now, Zach Parise's absence is made much more palatable by the fact that they have found the younger, healthier Zach Parise. This guy's the same guy. Wow. He's got, he's got, star, he's got star potential, but he works his butt off. He puts himself in the right place, down to the fact that after the Tuesday night loss to the Jets, Luke Cunning, who did not have to do this, he scored a goal, so I'm not shocked by it, came out to his locker, addressed the media, and basically gave veteran answers of, this shouldn't happen, that shouldn't happen, we need to do this differently. I mean, he very easily could have given the rookie, the goal doesn't, you know, the goal's not a big deal because we lost, and that's all I have to say, and instead he gave you the veteran responses, everything about this kid screams, future captain, and everything about him screams top six forward right now who completely gets it. Well, I've really loved his game, and they haven't asked a whole lot of him as far as responsibility in terms of ice time, but I think that that's going to go up. He's getting a couple of shots on goal a game. He's produced already a couple of goals. And, yeah, I think that's what we talked about. In order to soften the blow, you needed somebody to come step up. And uh, the fact that he's done that has helped a little bit as they start their crawl out of the basement. Though it's weird, I mean, early in the season, you're four points behind Winnipeg. You've got the same exact, or you've got a better goal differential than Winnipeg. Or maybe it is the same exact. Same exact goal differential as Winnipeg. They're a couple points up. So early in the season, things can change pretty quickly, and this team has started to ramp up and look more like we expected them to look to at least be competitive. And I think yeah, part of that sure. is what Cunning's been able to do, and getting Niederreiter back to me is a is a huge deal. Well, let mm-hmm. me then give you the good on my side, though I do not react the same way to Dumba failures as other people do. I think I I look at him as this player is what he is. And on most teams, I think that he would have his frustrating moments, but he would also bring you lots of joy and happiness with his offensive play. I just sure. think when every player ends up under the microscope to be this good all the time, and you can't drop him down to the third pair for a little while while he's struggling, you have to keep him in a key role. I think that puts him in a spotlight. So I, I look at that differently. Like sometimes it's just unfair criticism of a guy who can't just invent an ability to handle pressure or whatever else. That's the thing where I see him all the time, where if he's got somebody pressuring him on a four check or something like that, uh, he can be, he could turn the puck over or be too aggressive or, or whatever else. So, but my guy is Jared Spurgeon. 
and I've mentioned this to you before, but he oh, is, yeah. after last night, now the team's leader in point production, 24 minutes a night, a superstar top defenseman. Uh, mm-hmm. I really appreciate the greatness of Ryan Suter, and he has been, I think, rejuvenated a little bit under Bruce Boudreau. He's played well again this year. But I think the thing that has really uh, maybe lengthened Ryan Suter's prime is playing with Jared Spurgeon. It's not just his ability to move the puck. For it, I don't even have to say, Judd, for a guy his size, he handles himself in the corner. It, just as a defenseman, I think he does a good job on both ends of the ice and drives the puck up ice and produces points. And if they eventually end up making the playoffs... I might say, you know, they were kind of kept afloat a little bit by having Jared Spurgeon produce early in the season. Oh, definitely. I mean, the um, I I would say the best the best word to describe him is instincts. His mm-hmm. instincts are fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, he's small, and and when you stand uh, by him after a game, you look at him and you're like, you play in the National Hockey League. But <laughs> all that being said, when when you watch him play, I mean, just just watch where he is. His positioning is damn near perfect. Uh, his ability to, to jump into plays at times you're like, really, are you going to do that? And he does it. And guess what? He's fine. So yeah, I mean, he is a joy to watch. He, he was a, a complete steal to get and, and kudos to Boudreaux too, because, you know, Bruce doesn't like small guys that, that much. I mean, Bruce is, Bruce has misgivings about players like Spurgeon. And I think he certainly had, had them about Spurgeon when he got this job and kudos to him watching this kid or this guy and saying you know what he's good enough because there are he's gotten to the point now where where when you watch him play there's almost no times that you say "Uh uh-oh and there's a lot of times where where you say where you basically say that's a play i now take for granted and if if dumba or a guy like that made the play you'd be super impressed uh judd do you have anything else in your notebook um, I do not. I'm going to save the rest for the next episode because there's plenty more, including what so far has been, or at least during the course of a five-game homestand, which will end with a game against the Blackhawks on Saturday night, a struggling power play, which I believe has produced one goal and was 0 for 16 going into last night's game against Montreal. But there will be plenty of time to address matters such as that. All right. Well, I look forward to you emptying the notebook again. And maybe next time, though, the um... – Matt and Judd uh, hockey adventure has turned quite ranty at times. Um, maybe next, maybe next time it'll be less angry rants toward the NHL. <laughs> Although, you know yeah. what I get every time that we kind of go off about it. I get yeah. tweets where people say, can you believe this freaking league? So, well, I mean, I don't think no, we're, and, I don't think we're alone. And don't forget too. We, we started the show by talking about the fact that they're enforcing basically, if you whack a guy on the gloves and you said that you like that. And I agreed. So, Right there, we ranted about it, but in a positive manner. Keep doing it. Okay. I mean, if you're getting eight goals, Collar, you're getting eight goals. That's good for business. Uh, Amazing. Scoring is fun. Every other league figured it out a long time ago. Thanks, Judd. Good point. See you, Matthew. (laughs) Bye. Bye. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Right now, get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton Shred. Accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands, a heart rate monitor, yoga blocks, and more. Take your workout to the next level with Peloton, motivation that moves you. Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.